and now we'll begin the sermon. Okay. Um, and by the way, we are we are going to um, go back. This is going to sound funny. We're back in our study of Matthew. Okay. Now you go what? Well, um, many many years ago. I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That took about a year. And then I said, well, what should we do? Let's continue. And we made it up to chapter 10. Then uh, we took a break and moved to the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24 and 25. Um, I think we did Malachi. I think we did some other books. We did 1 Timothy. And we're done with 1 Timothy. We did the Letters of Revelation. Uh, we did Christmas, and now, where do we go? Let's pick it up where we left it off uh, in Matthew 10, okay? Uh, John Calvin once uh, was preaching through a book of the Bible. He was on, like, chapter 2, verse 4, and then he was banned into exile for three years. Then he was brought back to Geneva, not Geneva, but Geneva, and... Um, he got up in the pulpit and he said, well, last time I was here, it was verse 2. Today we continue in verse 3. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to continue uh, in Matthew chapter 10. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, uh, the first five verses, Jesus uh, names the 12 apostles. And we actually did a whole series on the apostles. Now, he commissions them. He sends them on their first short-term mission trip. All right. So here, uh, actually, before I read it, before I read it, speaking of missions, you know who these guys are? Yeah, it's the Matokas, Jason and Mina Matoka. They are trying to reach Muslims in a, and because this will be out on the Internet, I won't tell you where, but we'll just call it an undisclosed location. All right. And their most recent um, newsletter they said this, we are especially asking that the Lord would lead us to a man or woman of peace. Now you go, what, what's that all about? Well, in our passage today, Jesus talks about the man of peace. Right? They actually define it quite well. Someone that he, God, has already started working in and who would open up their household and sphere of influence to the good news. So they've just moved from one part of town to another part of town. They're in a new apartment, and they're saying, Will you, Valleybrook, please pray that God would lead us to a man or woman of peace. So the timing is very good that we happen to be in this section of Scripture where it talks about the man or woman of peace, and they're saying, please pray for us that we would find a man or woman of peace, and we should also pray uh, for the Yorks in the Dominican Republic, pray for the Nichols in Tanzania, and pray for one another that we would be led to a man or woman of peace because we're all missionaries. Right? We all have our, our sphere of influence, and we should be praying that our eyes would be open to find a man or woman of peace. Now you go, what's that all about? Well, here we have Matthew chapter 10. Jesus has just named the 12 apostles. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So 
Um, first thing he says is, I don't want you to go to the Gentiles yet. I want you just to go to the Jews. And you go, why, why is that? Well, Christianity needed to be seen not as something brand new out of the blue, but as the continuation and the fulfillment of Judaism. All right? So that's why Paul, on his missionary journeys, first goes to the synagogues. Then he gets beat up and stoned, and then he says, all right, I'm going to the Gentiles, and then the Gentiles believe. But Christianity is first brought to the Jews because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He's the, the Messiah of the world, but he came out of Judaism, and he says, first we need to be seen as a fulfillment of Judaism, not something brand new out of the blue. All right? But after uh, they first went to the Jews, then Jesus, he's crucified, He's risen from the dead, and right before he ascends into heaven, he says, Now, take the gospel to the whole world. So don't do what some people do and read that and go, Oh, okay, I'm just going to limit my evangelism. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to preach to the Swedes. All right? Or I'm just going to preach to emergent people. Or our church is just going to be, uh, it's, it's only supposed to be a certain demographic. No, this is a historical point that, when Jesus first commissioned them, yes, go only to the Jews, but now we have the Great Commission, and the church should be made up of all kinds of different people. All right? so, but that's point one. Go to the Jews, verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, the first public words Jesus spoke as he preached were these. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's saying, continue with that message. Now, um, what does he mean the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Well, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is the sphere of God's reign in the hearts of people. But really what what he's, he's saying is, hey, you're my representatives. Go and let the world know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because the king himself has stepped onto planet earth okay so he's he's and 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 that message gets more filled out as the gospel becomes clearer and clearer but announcement number one the king is here the king is here okay verse eight heal the sick raise the dead cleanse lepers cast out demons you received without pay give without pay we'll talk about uh, the healing miracles and so forth and he's basically saying, and don't go around charging. Once I was asked to, uh, to pray at a wedding, and uh, they said, how much, how much would that cost? <laughs> don't pay me to pray a prayer. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was like, like I have, a, like I have a, a, a bill, you know, for this prayer, for that prayer. And uh, No, don't, don't go charge for your services. Now, what we'll see is that believers then can support uh, preachers and, and pastors, but uh, be careful of those who charge you for their services. Okay, um, number nine, verse nine: Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In other words, don't charge. But on the other hand, depend on me, and I will provide for you as believers support you, all right? But there's an element of trust God here, all right? 
Now, here we come on the main, the main verses. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Right? What, what does that mean? Well, as you enter a village, first of all, find out if there are those uh, who have a worthy reputation. They're open to the things of God. And you go to the household and you say, Shalom. Right? That's the Jewish word for peace. God's peace be upon this house. And if they're open, then work with those people. But if they're not open, the peace will be returned to you. What does that mean? They'll slam it back in your face. Some will react in a non-peaceful way. Some will be disinterested. Some will be angry. Some will even persecute you. If you read the rest of the chapter, it's all about the persecution that you're to be aware of. But greet them with a greeting of peace. Bless them with the Lord's peace. And if they seem open, hey, work with those people. If not, they'll spit it back at you. You know it's time to move to the next house. Okay? Uh, a similar verse in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 10, says this. Now, in um, Matthew 10, he's commissioning the 12 apostles. In Luke's gospel, he's commissioning 72 disciples. Okay? Did you ever know that? There, there were the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Then there were the 12 Then there were 72 disciples that he sent out. In Acts chapter 1, there's 120, and then there's the multitude, okay? But here he commissions the 72. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house, right? God bless you. Shalom. Peace be upon you, right? And if a son of peace is there, a man of peace in some translations is there, your peace will rest upon him. He will receive the blessing. Okay? But if not, it will return to you. You'll know pretty quickly whether that person is open, and they may spit it back in your face. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Again, this is a person who's open to the things of God. They're the ones who are supporting you. Stay there. Don't move around from house to house, uh, and do not go from house to house. Um, could be a number of reasons why he says that. One, how rude is it to, uh, uh, to be welcomed into one home and, and then you find out, hey, somebody down the road, they have better food. Uh, thanks, thanks a lot, but I'm going over here. Okay. Um, but, but secondly, what we're going to find out, the man of peace is not just somebody open to the gospel, but they're also willing to open their sphere of influence, their relationships to the gospel. So, um, in essence, what you're looking for here is somebody with an open heart and an open house. Somebody who God is working in already. They're open to the things of God. You preach the gospel to them. They open their heart to it, and then they open their sphere of relationships. It's really a strategic way uh, to find out who believers are or or who's open to believing, and then their sphere of relationships uh, gets touched. Now, where do we see this in Scripture? 
all over the place. Jesus is walking by Matthew, the tax collector, and um, he says, follow me. You go, that's not going to work. Tax collectors are embezzlers. They're dirty cheats. Nobody's going to follow Jesus that way. What does he do? He gets up from his tax collector booth, and he follows Jesus. Obviously, God had been working in this guy's heart already. And the next thing we read about Matthew is that he's having a dinner at his house where he's invited his new holy friends and his old tax collector buddies. And they all mingle and watch the fun that ensues. Right? So God had been working in Matthew's heart. Jesus said, follow me. He responded, and he opened up his sphere of relationships to Jesus. Right? Woman at the well. John chapter 4. Jesus is tired. He goes to a well. There's a woman there. Strikes up a conversation. Um, she's had kind of a rough life. She's been married and divorced five times. Guy she's living with now is not her husband. Jesus says, you want some living water? What's that? He says, I can give you living water. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm the Messiah. She believes. She goes back home and brings half the town out now, opens up her sphere of relationships, probably an interesting group of people, and they believe in Jesus, somebody that God had been working on, and she opens her heart and her relationships. Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. Peter goes to the house of the first Gentile, Cornelius. Cornelius is so prepared by God, he falls on his knees, and Peter says, get, get up. And Cornelius was so ready to receive the gospel that he already brought in all the neighbors. So, you know, Peter had it really easy. He had to show up, and he didn't really want to go, but he went, and there's a whole house full ready for him. God had already been working in the hearts of those people. Lydia, a seller of purple cloth in uh, the city of Philippi. Paul goes there, and he finds her, and uh, she believes. He's ready to leave. She goes, no, 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 I insist. You guys can, can uh, make your headquarters my household. All right? So the man or woman of peace is somebody that God's already working on, and they're willing to open not only their heart, but their sphere of relationships. Now, here's my question. Do you think that God may have a man or woman of peace that he's working on in your sphere of relationships? Is this just like old-time Bible stuff, or does he still do this today? I think he still does this today. That's why the Metokas say, pray that God would match us up with our man or woman of peace. Okay. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to ask two real practical questions. Practical question one is, how are we to find a man or woman of peace? Right? And then secondly, I want to ask, what's God already doing in these people? All right, here's a sovereignty and a human responsibility sermon where we've got our part to do and then we've got to be reminded of what God's already doing. But um, how can you find the man or woman of peace in your sphere of relationships? Let me give you four things that you can do. 
First of all, and this is profound, look. Okay? Open up your eyes and realize, and you know what, we we all know this, but we kind of get so busy with life that we need to be reminded that we have a network of relationships and it's not an accident. God has you here for such a time as this. You are a missionary. If you're a believer, you are a missionary and you are in just the perfect relationships that God wants you in. All right. Now, the question is, when's the last time you kind of did a catalog, made an inventory of your relationships? Relationships in your neighborhood, relationships in your family, could be immediate family, could be extended family, right? relationships at work, maybe it's um, relationships with your kid's school, some of you coach, some of you instruct, some of you, you know, make a list of all those relationships and ask, are there obvious, no-brainer people who seem to be open to the things of God? Occasionally, it's good to do that in your small group, in church like this, just to, to, to do an inventory of your relationships. And, and for some of you, you're, right now you're going, oh, yeah, that is a no-brainer. So-and-so seems to be so interested. I need to zero in on them. All right? So, one, look. All right? Two, pray. You go, you know what? I've done that so many times, and there just doesn't seem to be anybody who's open. Well, Pray. That's what the Matokas are saying. We don't understand uh, where this person is. We believe they're somewhere here in this city, but Lord, will you please lead us to that person? Okay? And we need to do that for them and the Yorks and the Nichols and for one another. Lord, lead us to that man or woman of peace. Right? Number three. Now, here's where it gets a little more fun. Okay? So... I don't mean sow with a needle and thread. I mean sow some spiritual seed. Now, I know some of you, you're, you're thinking, boy, you, you, you talk about evangelism, and we went through that Ray Comfort class on how to share the gospel, and you hit them with the law, and then you, you go through the God, and you've got to make sure you, you don't miss a point, or you're a heretic, and, oh, there's so much to do. But the thing that a lot of people miss is how do you get from point A, just a casual relationship with a person, to point Z, which is actually sitting down and and explaining the gospel. How, How do you get from A to Z? How do you start the conversation? Well, um... That's what I'm talking about here when I talk about sowing. I'm not talking about standing up and preaching the entire gospel message. I'm talking about how do you just find out who may be interested? Let me give you some, some suggestions. One, give them your peace or give them God's peace. Right? What, what does the text say? When you greet a house, say shalom. We, today we would say, God bless you. It's that easy? Yes. How often do you greet people or say goodbye to people, not with, yeah, see you later, see you later, alligator, whatever, but with, God bless you. You know, I I have a, a little experiment for you. I do this. 
when I go to my favorite place, Walmart or Sam's Club. Some of you are a little more cultured. You go to Target, go to J.C. Penney, all right? But um, when I go through the line, that poor cashier, she's been working all day, and people have been complaining, and people are in line, and I, I would not... Um, I would not want to be that poor cashier. The only thing worse would be to be a bank teller. But, uh, <laughs> have you try this? Try this. When you kibitz with the person, you know they they say, "Oh, I see you're trying the canned uh, canned peas," and uh, yeah, and you're, you're back and forth. When you're done, and um, hope, hopefully you kibitz, hopefully you try to bring a little smile to their life. When you're done, say, "God bless you." God bless you. Now, you will either get a look like you are a three-headed alien, or you will get people who will go, oh, thank you. God bless you, too. Just a simple bringing the blessing of God into somebody's life. It's throwing seed. And if it lands on good soil, the person will be receptive. Okay? You haven't preached the gospel. In fact, you've started in a positive way. I want to bring you God's blessing. If they don't want to receive it, they'll throw it back in your face. Okay, Jesus says that. But just a simple God bless you could start relationships with people. Okay? Now, how about this one? Uh, and this is, you need to have a little bit deeper relationship with people. But you know what people love to do? Complain. Right? People at work, people in the neighborhood, people glad to complain, right? Probably 90% of what you hear is complaints. What if you said to them, I'll pray for you? Or can I pray for you? Okay, now some Christians want to say, yes, let's do it right here. And, you know, right here in the aisle 12 at Walmart. Get down on your knee. No, yeah. If they're open to that, fine, but most people aren't, okay? Um, but... Now they know you're a man or woman of prayer. You become the God person in their mind. Okay? And when they have a real problem, who are they going to go to? The person who uses God's name in vain or the person who has offered to pray for them? Okay? Then let's, let's say, okay, we're going a little deeper, going a little deeper now. How do you really turn the conversation around? Uh, have you ever used this, this phrase? If you ever want to know the difference between religion and Christianity, I'd be glad to tell you. Now, most people will go, what? what? Is there a difference between religion and Christianity? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what is it? Okay. Here it is. Religion is spelled D-O, do. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. What do you mean? And now you can explain the gospel. Religion is about you trying to work your way to heaven by doing good things and doing religious things, and we could never do enough. Christianity is about Jesus dying on the cross, paying for your sins. He paid the complete price. It's done, and all who will be humble enough to trust Him as Savior and Lord... There, you've just presented the gospel. Now, it hasn't covered every element, but you've got the gist of the gospel. 
by asking a question. And then, of course, there's my favorite question. If you were to die today and stand before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And 90% of people will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. And then you say, oh, you know, like my kids when they ask their friends that. Um, they go, well, I'm a pretty good person. They'll go, wrong! <laughs> wrong! Bah! No, you're not going to heaven. I'm like, what? What do you mean? And then they explain a little more gracious answer, okay? Like it's a game show. Bah! Okay. All right. Another thing you can do. Um, let's say... Let's say they're not quite ready to go to church. It's kind of scary to go to church. You know, you can give them sermons. Here's the king of sermon giver outers right here, Ryan. Like every week, he's like, "Hey, I got a guy I'm working with, and he needs. I need a message to just really, you know. So why don't you? So you go. Well, I don't know all the. Email me and tell me. I'd love to do that. Okay. Uh, I, I need to reach a Jewish person who is hung up on this and they've had this problem in their life. Do you have the perfect tailor-made sermon for them? Oh, yeah, sure, we've got that, okay? Um, But that's the beauty of this technological age we live in. Um, We've got all the sermons preserved out there on the Internet. we just got to match you up with it, okay? If you don't know how to download them, good luck, okay? All right, now, can I give you... um, can I give you a, a real... Okay, so we, we talked about uh, looking or opening your eyes and looking. We talked about praying. We talked about tossing seed. Now let me give you a fourth uh, key to finding this man or woman of peace. Care for people. Give a rip about people. Okay? You know, um, in the passage here, Jesus tells the disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Okay? And uh, a big debate 2,000 years later amongst what you call uh, continuationists and cessationists. Continuationists say, well, we need to do the same thing. We need to go raising people from the dead and healing the sick and casting out demons. Power evangelism. Okay? And the... Uh, the more conservative people say, oh, well, the age of miracles has ceased. And they battle back and forth. And, um, you know, what is your stand, Pastor? Has the age of miracles ceased? Okay. Well, I, I believe God can do miracles whenever he wants to do miracles. I don't, he's not in a box, okay? Uh, on the other hand, I do believe that Jesus said, uh, and Paul talks about the signs that authenticated uh, the ministry of the apostles were in Paul. In other words, God did authenticate the apostles in a special way. I don't know a whole lot of people who've raised the dead lately. Okay? So I, I think, I, I'm not going to say God has ceased doing these miraculous gifts, but I'm, I don't think we need to put all our weight in that boat either. Okay? But let me ask you this What do all these things have in common? Healing sick people, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, and casting out demons. They're nice things to do for people. Right? They help people in trouble. They show you care. Okay? Do you know that there are some Christians who will never lead anyone to the Lord 
because they're not nice. And this is really basic. If you're not nice, people don't want to hear about your God. If you care about people, they might be open. Some of the most bitter, argumentative, joyless people I've ever met are Christians. How is that going to, uh, to be good PR for the kingdom of God? Remember Yogi Berra? The, uh, the, uh, he was, a, was he a catcher, Yogi Berra? Not the, not the cartoon Yogi Berra, but the, the catcher Yogi Berra. He used to say really stupid things like, uh, 90% of baseball is half mental, right? Some of you are doing the math. You're going, right? If, if I ever wrote a book on evangelism, it would be entitled, 90% of evangelism is half compassion, all right? 90% of evangelism is half compassion. What, what do I mean? The best evangelist I know is sitting in the front row over here. Well, you're pretty good too, okay? But this lady over here, all right? She's always talking to people about the Lord. And she's really nice. Coincidence? I don't think so, right? Now, some people go, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. No, you're just a snarly, mean person. (laughs) Don't blame it on the Holy Spirit that you don't have the gift of evangelism, uh, who would want to listen to you, okay? So, so here's, uh, here's a question. Uh, let's do the fruit of the Spirit, all right? You become a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And he starts to work a change of character. First three, love, joy, peace. When people look at you, do they go, oh, they're such a loving person. And is there a joy about you? And, and you say, well, if you had my life, you wouldn't be very happy either. Right? I know people who've had rough lives, horrible lives, yet there's a joy, a joy to them um, in spite of the circumstances. Right? And, and peace, they're, first they're at peace with God, and they're at peace with people. Right? So... Um, 90% of evangelism is half compassion. You're just, you care about people and you show up. A little bit of social skill, okay? Some Christians need some social skill. Not, don't really have the, you know, how to, how to be a friend or how to, how to interact with people. That, you know, that's just work, work on that. Work on that. And you will be an evangelist. And we're not allowed to blame it on our personality. Oh, well, I just don't have the personality. Whatever your personality is, we're supposed to be loving, joyful, peaceful people. Okay? So uh, this, is, this is on, all right, there's, God's got people out there. He's working on them. And we just need to find them. How do we do it? Open our eyes, pray, toss some seed, and be spirit-filled. Have the fruit of the Spirit. And it, 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 we should be overflowing then, right? Now, you go, wow, that's a lot of work. It's all on my shoulders. Now, I want to remind you, 
that God is busy working too. What is God already doing in the people of peace? He is already working in the hearts of people, drawing them to Christ. Okay? It's not all on your shoulders. And let me just, I mentioned Cornelius. Let me show you here uh, in Acts chapter 10. Now, Jesus says to the apostles, um, I'm going to ascend to heaven, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then Samaria, and then you're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Go! He ascends to heaven, and what do they do? They stay in Jerusalem. They're having a great time in Jerusalem. And um, finally, uh, God wants to get through to Peter. And Peter's up on the roof of a house. And God lets down a sheet from heaven in a vision of unclean animals. And God says, take up and eat. Peter says, I've never eaten unclean food in my life. And God does it a second time and then a third time. And then Peter says, all right, I get the point. Go to the Gentiles. See, that whole unclean food thing was to create separate people so Jews and Gentiles wouldn't come together. Now God is saying, you can eat the food. All right? Go go eat the hot dogs with the Gentiles during the bear game. Okay? Eat the pickled pig's feet, even though it grosses you out. Right? That's what you guys are having, aren't you? Okay. The little, the little sausages in, uh, in the, the barbecue, I love those. Smoky Joes or whatever you call them, okay? I have divine permission to eat those, right? Eat the, the Gentile food. Sorry, Ryan, I know I'm, you're squirming over here, but yeah. Just going, no. All right, so <laughs> I would eat roadkill. I don't care. It doesn't matter, all right? So, um, and look at me. <laughs> no, don't. All right, so he goes, uh, he goes, Peter, I want you to get out of your little Jewish world and get into the house of a specific guy named Cornelius. He's waiting for you. All right, so Peter goes to this guy, Cornelius' house, and look what happens here. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. <laughs> All right, you talk about a guy who's ready, right? But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. Don't worship me. And by the way, when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door and they go, oh, Jesus is not God, you go, Peter would not accept worship. Paul and Barnabas are worshipped. They go, stand up. Don't worship me. The angel in Revelation, John bows down to worship him. And uh, and the angel says, no, don't worship me. I'm just a creature. Wherever there's inappropriate worship, the person being worshipped or the creature being worshipped says, don't worship me. Jesus, on the other hand, receives worship all the time. He never corrects them. He's God, okay? So here, Peter says, stand up. Don't worship me. I'm just a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Oh, okay, so Cornelius has already brought the town. He's a man of peace. And he said to them, all right, this is his his opening sermon line. (sighs) You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person uncommon or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, 
why you sent for me. All right? I, don't, I really don't want to be here. You kind of disgust me with your food over there. God made me come. Now, what do you want? Whoa. That gives preachers a real comfort because if he can save people with that opening, um, any of us can be preachers, right? So now, look what, look what Cornelius says. Does Cornelius say, you know, I've never really thought of the things of God up until now. No, look what God had been doing in his life. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, all right, that's an angel, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. You talk about God preparing a man of peace to hear the gospel. All right, now, I'm not saying God's sending angels to everybody out there. But if we took a microphone and passed it around the room and we asked everybody in the room, when you came to Christ, was, did you come to Christ because the first time you heard the gospel was the first time you thought of the things of God? Or would you say, no, I can see God working in my life ever since I was a little kid. I may have resisted him. I may have had this experience or that experience. But by the time I heard the gospel and received Christ, God had already been working in my life. Every one of you would say that, wouldn't you? Why do you think it's any different with the other people in your your sphere of relationships. God is working in their hearts. He's drawing people to Christ. But he uses us. Okay? Um, John 6, 44. No one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And that word draw, does that mean he's just gently wooing, or is that a strong drawing? You tell me which word... It's the same Greek word in Acts 16. Paul is in Philippi. He casts some demons out of a slave girl. It says, but when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. What's the same word? Dragged, yeah. God always gets his man. Right? You go, well, I don't like this. This, this is getting close to that there Calvinism you're talking about. It's, it's like God choosing people, and I don't like that. Well, here's my point. There's two things we need to avoid. One, sovereign laziness. The lazy Calvinist who says, hey, God's got it covered. Keep it up. No, he has chosen to use us to go out there and risk getting beat up, to spread the seed, to be used in the process of evangelism. So the one thing you want to avoid is sovereign laziness. On the other hand, you want to avoid human panic. It's totally up to me. If God's not going to do it, I'll do it. You know what? People who don't trust in God's sovereignty, you know what you're going to do? You're going to end up manipulating people. You know, a lot of the gospel distortions that get preached from pulpits are due to preachers who don't believe in the sovereignty of God. So I I so want you to believe that I will kind of tweak the gospel and make it a little more attractive here, a little 
you know, draw people to Christ, not for salvation, but to make them healthy, wealthy, and happy. And uh, a, a lack of trust in the sovereignty of God uh, results in us manipulating people and compromising the gospel. Right? What you need to, to understand is that God has ordained the end and the means to the end. The end is he gets his man or woman. The means to the end is we get to be used in the process. Now let's get out there and spread some seed, take a few punches, but find that man or woman of peace and lead them to the Lord. All right, let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Father, thank you that you use us, you allow us to be used in this process, but you don't send us out alone. Lord, you go ahead of us. You are already working in the hearts and the lives of people all around us. And uh, Lord, I pray for our missionaries. Pray for the Matokas, the Yorks, the Nichols, uh, that as they are serving you, that you would match them up with men and women of peace Uh, people that that you're already drawing to Christ. And, um, Lord, make them bold, make them wise in uh, how they conduct themselves. And then, Lord, for each one of us in this room, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would open our eyes to the men and women and children of peace all around us. Um, May we realize we don't go alone, and may we see lots and lots of fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.